0: We are transitioning today from thinking about discipline, one of the tools that God has given us as parents, to thinking about instruction, and uh, I, I don't expect us to get through all of what is before you in that packet, um, but we're going to get through a good chunk of that and then we'll pick up uh, the rest of that next week, and then we'll start transitioning to some more um, kind of specific parenting issues that are, are pertinent in our day, some that are are issues like evangelizing our children and and how to handle things like baptism and the Lord's supper with kids. uh, things of, of technology and different things that we'll face as well. Um, I'm not entirely sure because we're I, I'm going a little slower than I had hoped I would, uh, although it's good stuff, um, that we'll cover all of that in the six weeks. So if you're open to it, I might add a seventh week on December 17th, um, and at least I'll be here and anybody who wants to be here, uh, and we'll finish some stuff. So, But I'm gonna save all the best topics for that week, so no, not really, um, try to cover uh, cover as much as we can. So uh, we have been, been thinking together about what the Bible says to us as parents. And and obviously, you know, the the entirety of Scripture shapes how we think and how we respond as parents. And so in some ways, you know, all of the Bible is, is to be shaping our thinking uh, as we seek to parent. We talked about that early on in our class that You know, parenting fits in the larger picture of what God has designed for the family, which fits in the larger picture of what God is doing in the world. And and if we don't see and understand those things, we're gonna be so focused on the specifics of parenting that we we can't even do that in the way that God would call us to. and so God wants to, to do something in and through you as a parent that fits with his larger plan for history of redeeming and, and conforming you to the image of Christ and, and uh, by his grace doing that in the lives of your kids as well. And, and we saw in Ephesians chapter 6 that God really gives pretty clear and pretty specific and pretty simple instructions to parents. He says uh, in chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's our calling, is to uh, avoid certain things, particularly provoking our kids, and to bring them up, to nurture them, to help them to grow, using two tools, discipline and instruction. And we saw that discipline is, is that that training and shaping of kids, it's both formatively training them and correctively disciplining them whenever they uh, fall short of God's standard of obedience to them. And that that discipline is going to be shaped by what our kids' nature is and by God's discipline of us, his children, and, and all the warnings and exhortations of scripture and the age and condition of our kids and and it's gonna be shaped by the, by the gospel. And, and a big part of that discipline is helping our kids to come underneath the authority that God has placed in their life, particularly us as parents, that's where our discipline starts, is our kids learning to obey us. And that's not just because life goes great when your kids obey you, it's because God intends that authority to be transferred one day to him, and because that authority puts you in the position to do what we're gonna talk about today, which is to instruct our children. Instruction flows out of the authority that you have as parents, somebody choosing to come underneath your authority to listen to your instruction. And so we need to lay a foundation of our own authority and discipline, uh, and then to, to come alongside that with seeking to instruct our kids. I want you to turn to uh, 2 Timothy, chapter three. This morning, this is one of my favorite passages, both as a as a parent and as a family pastor, uh, and it it reminds us of so much of what is to be the case of the instruction of our kids. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's he's warning him in chapter three about all sorts of things that are gonna come and be a challenge to him as a, a pastor of a, of a church in in the last days that the, there's gonna be many things that come up that are contrary to God's intent and desires. And he reminds him in verse 14 of what was true for him. He says, in contrast to that, contrast to the evil men and impostors of verse 13, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work." I think verse 15 summarizes what should be our heart for our kids. That from childhood, it's, it's even a, a word that can be used of even younger children. From infancy, you have known the sacred writings, the scripture, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ. Not all of you in this room can that be said of, that you can say, yeah, from childhood, from infancy, I knew the sacred writings. God can work in a person's life later on in life, and he does that by his grace. But our heart for our kids should be that that would be true of them, that that would be our, our privileged role. And, and if we're gonna instruct our kids in in that way, if we're gonna be active about the instruction God calls us to, wanna give us a number of of principles this morning to think about together. The first thing that we have to do is to embrace your responsibility for instructing your children. You know, we live in a day and age where um, just in, in general as parents, it's easy to feel inadequate for instructing our children in a variety of things that they are, uh, that we, we desire for them to learn and so Um, Some of that is normal and and natural. You know, if you wanna teach your kids to play the piano, some of you may know how to play the piano, but many of you would be like me, you would hire somebody else who knows how to play the piano and knows how to teach the piano to teach your kids in those ways. Uh, you know, in, in Texas, sports are a big deal. And uh, I was we were driving out to uh, to go camping. Not that we ever go camping, but we did this past weekend. Uh, and I saw this big uh, kind of warehouse-looking building that was like a place you can take your kids and they can be taught how to throw football perfectly or throw baseball perfectly by an expert in those things. Um, you know, and, and so much of, of what our culture puts on us is, you know, there are experts who can teach certain things and there's the rest of us who, who can't. And it's easy for us as parents to, to kind of subtly have that mindset as it relates to instructing our kids in the scriptures. And particularly when it's a, when it's a good church, we can say, oh man, I could never be Tom and teach uh, my kids a sermon that way. No, you couldn't and you don't need to be, you know, or, or man, I'm so thankful we have really good Sunday school teachers so that I just take my kids and drop them off and they teach them the Bible. And then we got a great youth pastor and youth leaders and they continue that. And my role is just to drop them off and make sure we're here. And whew, that's good. That's a relief to me. That's how we do piano lessons and sports and that's how we'll do, we'll do spiritual truth, but that's not what the scriptures call us to. Ephesians 6, 4, that verse we, we talked about before, who was it to? It was to fathers. Do not provoke your children in anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Look at, look at Deuteronomy chapter six. We'll come back to this text a couple of times as we think about it, because it's so formative for our thinking on instructing our kids. Deuteronomy 6, the central theological statement of, of Israel's belief in, in Yahweh. Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, 6.4. And it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them on a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. He says to Israel, this is, this is the fundamental truth we believe and we should respond by loving God ourselves and by teaching our kids these things. We could look at so many texts, particularly uh, woven throughout the Old Testament. Look at Psalm 78, Psalm 78 is a, a psalm rehearsing God's faithfulness to Israel, but it begins with a reminder to, to parents that they should be the ones teaching this to their children. Verse 5 says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born that they may arise and tell to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments and and over and over we can look at the book of Proverbs where so much of the book of Proverbs is introduced my son it's a father to a son teaching those things and so while the church can and should be of great uh, support and assistance to us, and and it's a huge blessing to have others speaking the same truth into the lives of our kids. You know, they they do uh, over time, kind of you know tune out a little bit of what we're saying sometimes, and to have somebody else reinforcing that is huge. You know, when when their youth leader says something, to them and they come home and they're like, oh, guess what? They said this, and you're like. Man, how many times have we told you that? But great, that is awesome. That was so wise of them to say that to you. You know, so that's, that's very helpful and very critical that we have the whole body of Christ, but it starts with us as parents saying, hey, this is our job, not just to put them in positions of receiving instruction, but to assume responsibility for instructing our kids. Don't let the fact that your kids go to a, a good church make you um, less passionate about instructing them yourself. We need to embrace our responsibility, but also we need to remember our goal. If you look back at 2 Timothy chapter three, this this verse kind of lays out, 2 Timothy 3, 14, kind of lays out a a three-step process of what had taken place for Timothy. If you look in verse 14, He's writing to Timothy and he says, Timothy, you however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. And so really, if you look at those phrases, the first one chronologically, and what our goal for our kids should be is that they would learn. He says, Timothy, at some point in the past, you learned and you particularly learned the scriptures, as you see in verse 15, You've known the sacred writings, and you've learned within that the gospel. So one of our goals for our kids is that they learn the truth of the scriptures and the gospel. But is that where it stops for us? Is it that, man, it would be awesome if my kid could could pass a complicated multiple choice and true false test related to the knowledge of the scriptures and the gospel. Like man, when I ask my kids, "Hey, can you be saved by works?" they're like, "No, that is uh, that is false." I mean, that's good that they've learned. It's great that there is content that has gone in. It's great if your kids can can uh, you know, uh re re uh, rehearse the major events of the Bible or quote the books of the Bible. Or all of those things are good, but that is not the end goal of our instruction. Notice what it says of of Timothy, he says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and what? And become convinced of. See, our goal is that they would learn things, head knowledge, but that that would move to their heart. They would be convinced of the truth of those things, that they would have a conviction about the reality of those things that shapes how they live. I don't know about you, but there are plenty of times where, for myself, or for our kids where we know the right answer. We can tell you the right answer. Uh, They can tell me what I wanna hear, but it is not shaping the way that they are living in that moment. I, I, yeah, I think this is true. I just don't care right now. I'm gonna live how I wanna live. She says, Timothy, you learned these things, but there was a point uh, in time when you were convinced of them, when you submitted yourself to the truth of those things, and you are continuing in that way and then he says you however timothy continue in them so our goal is that they learn that they become convinced and then that they ultimately continue in those things for a lifetime even surpassing our devotion to christ and and far surpassing our lifetime in their devotion to him continue living out what you have learned you see this idea of of what is true of a disciple Matthew's. Gospel, chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, where he's describing the Great Commission and what's to be true of a disciple. They're to be taught to observe all that I have commanded you. There's a, a continuing obedience and a continuing desire to submit to Christ as Lord. That's our desire. It's not just head knowledge, although it starts there. It's more than that. It's that they are responsive or responding to that head knowledge and, and choosing to, uh, to believe and trust in Christ, to respond in worship to him. John Piper put it this way. He says, what we want from the next generation is not just heads full of right facts about the works of God. We want heads full of right facts and hearts that burn with the fire of love for the God of those facts, hearts that will sell everything to follow Jesus into the hardest places of the world. that That's our desire is that our kids know the truth, but more than that, that they are responding to that. And ultimately that's a, a work of God in their heart to open their eyes, to see the beauty of the, the word of God, to see the beauty of God's character, to delight in and love him. But that affects how we teach and how we instruct. You know, we, we um, as instructors have a huge role in how our kids view the content that we are talking about. Think of of your favorite teacher back maybe in, uh, in middle school or high school. You know, your favorite class that you ever took. It may be that it was a teacher who just made it really easy and you got to talk with your friends. That may have been your favorite class. Or it may have been a teacher who was really passionate about what they were teaching. And so you came to class saying, man, this is exciting stuff because they're excited about this. But you probably also had the teacher Maybe a coach also sometimes. You know, they're there to coach, but they also have to teach history. And so you go into class and they're like, all right, we gotta learn history today or we gotta at least spend time thinking about history today. And, you know, they're not excited about it and so you're not excited about it. And, and so the instruction that we give, again, it, it's God's work, but we have a role in instructing towards that goal. You know, I, th- I think of... Uh, of Matthew 13:44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. What, what's the goal with your kids? If you're in that situation, is the goal head knowledge that there is treasure in that field? Yes, we've achieved that. We have communicated to our kids. There is treasure in that field. Okay. Thanks, dad. Great. No, we we want them to believe that there is treasure in that field and respond saying, that is valuable. I am willing to go and sell all that I have to have the treasure that is in that that field. It's a picture of of Christ and the gospel. And this requires offensive parenting, putting Jesus on display in a way that, that communicates the attractiveness of him. You know, if... If our family devotion time is the most boring 15 minutes of our kids' day because of how we are talking about the Lord and his word, we are not instilling in them or not leading them to, to be convinced of and rejoice in this truth. Again, we, we know this in other settings. We know this in, you know, in what we pass on to our kids. Like My, my kids, um, older ones, really all of them have, have come to love basketball. They really enjoy playing basketball. They really enjoy watching basketball. Uh, they, they have uh, a great time doing that. And, and they enjoy that partially just because of, of what they have, have been exposed to. Uh, but some of that is how we have parented them and the influences that we have placed into their life. Uh, I happen to enjoy basketball. I've played men's basketball at church if you can call it that. Um, You know, for a number of years, my girls come to the games, they watch, they cheer, they see that, hey, dad enjoys basketball and we go play outside basketball together and, and those things. You know, it wouldn't have been enough for me just to say, oh, I hope my kids like basketball. So what I'm gonna do is I'm never gonna let them play any other sport. I'm gonna just be defensive in my parenting. I'm gonna say, no, you wanna play softball? No, no, because you need to love basketball. You wanna play, vo- no, volleyball, no, volleyball. You gotta play basketball. No, we, we don't we don't parent any other way that way. We, we know how to instill or, or cultivate other passions for our kids, but spiritually, we have to do the same thing. It's not just keeping them from other things. It's It's communicating the joy and passion of knowing and loving Christ. So we need to... Uh, embrace our responsibility, we gotta do this. And we gotta recognize the goal, it's not just the transmissions of facts and head knowledge, although it is that, it is more than that, it is communicating the, the zeal and passion for the Lord, which is why thirdly, it's so important that we recognize that your example is instructing your children. You see, if your goal and my goal is simply the transmission of facts to pass that multiple choice test, my example doesn't necessarily matter. You can gain content from somebody who's not a great example of that. You know, you could still get an A in that history class with a history teacher who doesn't really care about history because you have done the, the transmission of knowledge. But for us as parents, not only is our verbal instruction key, but our example, I, I was thinking of this, uh, OK, I saw that insurance commercial where the people are sitting around in a meeting like I'm becoming my parents kind of meeting thing. And and uh, they're like sharing different ways. They're like their parents. And, um, you know, defense does win championships. So you, we all know that or, um, you know, why would I replace my cell phone? It's still working. You know, all the things that our parents have said for years that now we see ourselves subtly thinking. Um, and the insurance commercial, something like, you know, we can't keep you from becoming like your parents, but we can save you 15% on car insurance. or whatever. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and there's a reality to that, that we do become like our parents, uh, sometimes in positive ways, sometimes in negative ways, sometimes in ways we appreciate and sometimes in ways we don't. Um, you know, so example matters. And again, it matters in other educational settings. When, when uh, I was uh, an education major in, in undergrad and, and uh, we talked some about hidden curriculum in the classroom. You know, if I'm teaching a lesson on how you know, boys and girls are equally valuable and the only people I call on in that classroom are the girls. What is being communicated? What are people learning? Well, they might learn something from what I'm telling them, but they're probably gonna learn more from how I'm interacting with them in that classroom. And, and so it is for us. One, one writer um, quoted by J.C. Ryle in, in his book, The Duties of Parents said this, he said, to give children good instruction and a bad example is but beckoning to them with the head to show them the way to heaven while we take them by the hand and lead them in the way of hell. It's like we're, we're communicating two totally different messages and most of the time, people will pick up on our example. That's why in 2 Timothy 3, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. That's a fascinating phrase. He he says, you continue in these things because you know from whom you learn them. Now, we would be inclined to say, continue in these things because they are true, (laughs) right? They're right, it doesn't matter who you learned it from, if they're true, continue in what is true. And Paul would agree with that, that you should do these things because they are true and right but he appeals to Timothy based on the people who had taught him. Now, was he saying those people are like the experts in their field? No, who had had taught Timothy? Yeah, his mother, his grandmother, certainly Paul had as well, but uh, earlier in in, uh, uh, Paul refers to his mother and grandmother who had instructed him in those things. Is he just saying, hey, don't disappoint grandma, (laughs) No, he's saying you, you, you recognize that what they taught you was backed up by the, the reality of their life. See, we have to recognize as parents that our life speaks volumes to our kids. That's why MacArthur in his commentary on this, this passage said, to successfully learn spiritual convictions from others and to hold them as your own, it is necessary not only to hear them clearly taught, but to see them consistently lived. Again, God can can work in his grace in a person's life who doesn't have that. Some of you did not have that modeled in your home. Um, That does not permanently handicap you, but the normal means that God uses to shape a child's understanding of God and of Christ and of how we should respond to him is both instruction that is coming verbally backed up by the example of those who are teaching. That's why Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. That's, that it's both of those things, your life and what you teach. That's why in, um, in Deuteronomy 6, the passage we read earlier, it wasn't just, hey, teach these things to your kids, but it was these need to be on your own heart. You need to love the Lord with all your heart. You need to be doing these things. You know, our example speaks powerfully to our kids. You know, think of, uh, of some of the uh, examples of, of parents in the Old Testament. Think of somebody like Abraham and what he had taught his son Isaac about God and about God's promises and that God was faithful to his promises and, and verbally instructing him in that way. But think about the impact when Abraham Told Isaac, hey, we're gonna go sacrifice. God, God wants us to go offer a sacrifice, and and so load up. We're gonna we're gonna travel together, and and we're gonna offer a sacrifice. And and Abraham uh, took Isaac, his son, up there. And and think about the situation where Abraham took his son Isaac and bound him, his older son at this point. He was not a young child which I think implies that Isaac w- knowingly went along with it. You don't have in scripture this, this description of Abraham chasing Isaac down and wrapping him up and you know throwing him on the altar. No, I, I, I think Abraham told Isaac, son, lay down. And he did. And he, he'd established that authority. He trusted his father. He trusted God. Abraham didn't know all that God was doing. And yet through that, Abraham was willing to obey, Isaac witnessed that, and then ultimately God provided the ram so that Isaac wasn't sacrificed. What did Isaac learn through that experience? What do you think? From that example of his father and from, uh, from going through that, that with him. Well, Yeah, he learned, hey, you obey. You obey even when you don't understand the end and how this is gonna work out for good. God knows and God knows what is best. And maybe they were walking back and Isaac was like, dad, you, why are you gonna do that? And, and maybe Abraham explained, you know, God's able to raise the dead son. And, and if I had killed you, you know, as Hebrews says, Abraham thought, you know, you would have been dead for long. You would have had some story to tell, but God is able to do that. And so I was willing to obey. What else did he learn? Yeah, he got to see that God is more valuable to Abraham Than me, and that God, what do you learn about God? Yeah, he's good, he's able to keep his promises, even in ways that we don't expect or anticipate. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go home today and you take your child and say, Have I got a deal for you? Uh, Guess what we're going to do? No, that was a unique situation that God had given Abraham, Um, but the the faithfulness of the parent undoubtedly was a part of what sealed those lessons into the life of the child think of of samuel when hannah uh, had had communicated to to him why she did what she did and in giving him to the lord to work and how god had provided a child and and what did samuel learn through those things we need to be faithful in our life to obey and honor the Lord as he's called us to clearly in the pages of scripture, not as an end to itself, not because we want our kids to obey, but because it's right, but knowing as well that as we do that, it is reinforcing those things in the life of our kids. Another author put it this way. He said, parents, as you would wish your instructions and admonitions to your family to be successful, enforce them by the power of holy example. It's not enough for you to be generally pious, but you should be wholly pious. He means not enough just kind of go through the motions of of religious things, but it needs to to be real, not only real disciples, but imminent ones, meaning not just kind of following after in the ways that are convenient, but genuinely giving ourselves to, to the Lord. Not only sincere Christians, but consistent ones. Your standard of true religion should be very high. To some parents, I would give this advice. Say less about religion to your children or else manifest more of its influence. Leave off family prayer or else leave off family sins. Now, certainly it's not appropriate to say, well, I'm just not living the way I should live, so I'm just gonna stop talking about it to my kids. That's not right. The right thing is, no, I I need to change how I'm living so that I can continue to talk to my kids about these things. So our life speaks volumes in and specifically, a couple of things that, that are true is, is your worship is contagious to your kids. Look at Exodus 20 with me, the 10 Commandments. And, and what we find is that what you worship is contagious. Again, not in a definitive way where your children are somehow bound by what you have done, but in a way that clearly has a a powerful influence. If you remember the first commandments deal with worshiping God and how we worship him and who we worship, he says you shall have no other gods. Verse 3, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And verse 5 says you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me." That's a, that's a sobering verse, and one that we um, you know, come to and, and are probably quick to say, Ooh, I don't know what that means, that doesn't sound good, I'm, I'm not gonna think about that too much, but it's, it's not saying that God punishes innocent children for the sins of their parents, Second Kings 14.6 and other places, make that clear. He's not saying, if you sin as parents, I'm going to keep punishing the fourth generation of your kids for your sin. Rather, as, as one commentator puts it this way, he says, this off-repeated theme speaks of God's determination to punish successive generations for committing the same sins they learned from their parents. In other words, God will not say, I won't punish this generation for what they are doing. After all, they merely learned it from their parents. So what he's saying is, I will punish future generations, even though they learned this sin from you. And so we have to recognize that our example, particularly here, of who we worship, of what we worship, is going to likely influence our children who are also going to face God's punishment for that. Again, hopefully that hopefully you're not in a situation where you are worshiping an idol at home. You would profess to worship the Lord and to, to love him above all else. But the things that you love most in life, your kids are going to pick up on that and and likely be prone to worship the same things. You know, how many... Um, kids have grown up in a home where dad worked a ton, and they were kind of, you know, embittered by that, that dad seems to love his job more than me, and yet those very same kids oftentimes grow up to be workaholics themselves. They, they live the same way that they saw, even though they didn't like that at the time. You know, do our kids know that we treasure Christ more than our job, or our possessions, or our comfort, or more than respect, more than even our family, our spouse, or our child. If you were to ask your kids, what is most important to us? What would they say? You know, what would they, looking at your example, say, this is what matters the most. We need to recognize that what we worship is contagious but also I think how how we worship is contagious both in in uh, this text it's speaking of we making an idol in, uh, in that way. Psalm 1454 is another verse that that I think relates to this and helps us to think about this. Psalm 1454 describes the, the Psalm 145 describes the greatness of God and how we should be meditating on him and then it says this one generation in verse 4, shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. He doesn't just say one generation shall teach your works, he says shall praise your works to another. This goes back to that idea of communicating the, the worth and the, the value of God, of communicating that he is worthy of our worship. It's interesting in the Old Testament that there are a number of times and a number of things that were set up so that parents had the opportunity to model for their kids how to rightly worship God. Some of those were in things like the feasts that Israel had where those were teaching opportunities. They would do stuff, they were visual creative teaching. Why are we eating this bitter herb for Passover? What's that? And the kids would say why and the parents would get to tell them why and get to teach them those things. Uh, So part of it was, was teaching opportunities in those ways, and part of it was the parents were getting to model, here's how we are faithful and worship the Lord. So times like those feasts and festivals that I mentioned, times like in Deuteronomy 31, verse 11 and 12, where it says, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he will choose you, shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, the men, the women, and the children, and the alien who is in your town, that he may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe the words of his law. You guys, we get to model for our kids how to rightly worship. This is one reason why I think it's, it's helpful and, and important that parents worship with their kids um, for, for many years while they are in their home. It doesn't mean that you have to take your two-year-old into the worship service with you, but, but you do need to be looking to say, I want my kids to learn how to worship, not from other people, but from me, from watching my example. John Piper puts it this way. He says, parents have the responsibility to teach their children by their own example, the meaning and value of worship. Therefore, parents should want their children with them in worship, so the children can watch the spirit and form of their parents' worship. They should see how mom and dad sing praise to God with joy in their faces and how they listen hungrily to his word. They should catch the spirit of their parents meeting the living God. Something seems wrong when parents want to take their children in the formative years and put them with other children and other adults to form their attitude and behavior in worship. Parents should be jealous to model for their children the tremendous value they put on reverence in the presence of Almighty God. Again, he's not saying that there's not a time and place for others to be involved with our kids, but he's saying, hey, if if we really believe God is worthy of worship, and he is the most precious thing to us, the most valuable to us, and we get time each week corporately to worship him and to learn of him, Wouldn't we want our kids to get to be a part of that, to see and value that with us? Now again, that means we gotta consider our example. (laughs) You know, if our kids are sitting next to us and they see us as parents looking disinterested and distracted and not singing, what are they learning? (laughs) They're learning that it's totally acceptable just to show up at church and be there. (laughs) That's not what we want them to learn. And so again, we go back to that earlier quote, you know, you may not do this unless you are modeling what you ought to be modeling, but don't say, well, I'm just not going to do this. Say, man, I got to f- refocus my heart and my mind and make sure that I am, I am living and worshiping the way that God calls me to be. Modeling for our kids who we worship and, and how we worship is a part of our instruction. And what other area are... that's so important is that our marriage, your marriage, preaches the gospel to your children. You know, we talked a a couple of weeks back about the importance of of parenting in the context of the larger family that God has established and, and that children are not ultimately the center of our home, they are a temporary blessing added in for a season for a purpose, but our marriages will last for, uh, for um, the duration of this life and, and one of the things that is true of marriage in addition to that is, is the fact that God has established marriage to be a powerful picture of the truth that we wanna teach our kids about the gospel. One reason why God cares so much about marriage and in Malachi 2, he's describing how how valuable and precious marriage is to him in Ephesians chapter 5, familiar verses to most of you, where God describes how husbands are to play the role of of Christ, to love and sacrifice for their wives, to, to care and cherish and nourish, to purify as Christ does the church and how wives are, are to play the role of the church, coming under and submitting to the role of Christ, the, the, the authority of Christ and, and, and with joy doing that. You guys, if, if we're telling our kids, if we're a dad and we tell our kids, you know, you are to, uh, to trust Christ because he is, is the sacrificial, loving leader just like husbands are to be and you're modeling the opposite what are your kids learning or if you're a wife saying man you need to submit to and obey god and submit to christ and yet you're not submitting in the role that god has placed you in what are you teaching your kids i put a a long quote in there because it's i think it's really um really powerful and and communicates uh this this truth so well from the gospel um Gospel-powered parenting, uh, you can follow along together with me. It says, the gospel is the good news that the groom loves his bride. He loved her so much that he humbled himself, descended an infinite distance, became man and suffered poverty and abuse for 33 years. Then in the greatest display of love in history, he allowed himself to be tortured to death on a cross in his bride's place. The Son of God did all this to serve his bride, to make peace where enmity reigned, what motivated him? Love that surpasses knowledge. He longed to unite himself in irrevocable love to an unworthy bride. But the gospel is not just about the groom's love, it also provokes a response from his bride. With, uh, um, when understood from the heart, it motivates her to humble herself, love the groom with all her heart, respect him and serve him with joyful abandon. The gospel summons Christ's bride to yield to the servant authority of her crucified king. Here's Paul's point in Ephesians 5. He says, Christian marriage preaches this union. It makes it either attractive or ugly. When a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, washing her with the word, forgiving her, serving her, tenderly leading her, his marriage says Christ loves his church. You can trust the groom. He is infinitely loving. Serve him. You won't be disappointed. When a husband is unfaithful to his wife, verbally belittles her, loves his children more than her, takes her for granted, his marriage says Christ's love is not that great. He loves us only when we perform. You can't trust this Savior. You can't meet his expectations. He doesn't keep his promises. Why serve a fickle despot? Wives also preach when mom joyfully submits to her husband as to the Lord, recognizing that he is her head as Christ is the head of the church and she is his body as the church is the body of Christ. It makes an attractive statement. When she does this for an unworthy husband, not because she trusts him, but because she trusts Christ to care for her, it points her children to Christ. Her behavior says Christ is trustworthy. The son of God is infinitely good. You can trust him. When a wife tells her children to obey Christ, yet doesn't trust him enough to take care of her relationship with an imperfect husband, but seeks to control him, resist his authority, refuses to respect him, and declines to serve him, her actions speak loudly. They say the Son of God cannot be trusted. He promises to exalt the humble, but I don't really believe he will exalt me. He says he will take care of those who submit to lawful authority, but I don't really believe that. If I don't take care of myself, who will? In most cases, her children will internalize what she does, not what she says. It's a powerful quote, isn't it? That our marriages are a powerful opportunity to reinforce the verbal message of the gospel that we want our children to believe. They speak volumes about Christ as a loving, sacrificial head and volumes about the response to him that is appropriate of of trust and love again does that mean your kids are in a very calculated way saying you know what i'm going to evaluate the truthfulness of the gospel based on the model that i see pictured in my marriage maybe you've got a kid or two who's thinking that way no probably not they're probably not saying well gee i wonder you know if if the gospel's really true dad would be really sacrificial and uh, I'm kind of not seeing it all the time. Uh, so I'm not sure I'm going to believe the gospel. Or uh, I'm not sure. Uh, it's, not, it's not that calculated. But it's that as we are living in this way, those truths are reinforced, not undermined. And it doesn't mean that we're making those connections for our kids. We're not sitting down saying, you know, Jesus loves you just like you see me sacrificially loving your mom. No, we're not having to, to tie those things in in that way but it pictures those realities, and it flows from those realities in a way that instructs our children. Again, does that mean any of us are gonna be perfect? (laughs) Any of us are gonna say, oh man, our marriage is there. We are totally picturing the gospel every day of every week, it's awesome. No, we are still needing the gospel ourselves because we fail and fall short, and our kids can see that, that's okay but we do have to recognize these areas, our life and our worship and our marriage have a huge role in the instruction of our kids. So recognize your example is instructing your children. And then the last thing that we'll think about together today is to prioritize scripture in instructing your children. And the fact that our example matters doesn't mean that our words don't. Our words are very important in our instruction, particularly as they are reinforced by that godly example. Because notice, what was it that Timothy learned back in 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 16? It says that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, a word used of the scriptures. From childhood, Timothy, you had known the Old Testament. You'd been taught the Old Testament. It's a a phrase that came to include the New Testament as well. He says, that's the content of what you learned. It was the truth of scriptures. And why is that so important for him? Well, it's because the scriptures, it says, give wisdom for salvation, he says, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ. That's not the only place this, this idea comes up in Scripture. It, it really is, is throughout the Scriptures, verses like Psalm 19, which is all about the general revelation in creation and then the Scriptures that God has given us it speaks of how the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. It's that idea. It, it's able to restore us, to, to give us uh, salvation. Here you think of, of verses like Romans 10, where it, it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear unless someone is sent? And, and it reminds us that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. You see, salvation, the wisdom for salvation, faith, God says, comes from the word of God, the scriptures. doesn't mean it's like a you know, magic beans, where if you just pick out a few verses and, you know, you sprinkle those throughout your kid's life that, bam, the result is wisdom for salvation. It's, it's not that. It's that the, the entirety of, of biblical truth and the word of God embedded in their life is what God will use to transform their hearts. Kids need to understand God's work in the world his plan of redemption the big picture story of what he's doing the theological truth of our need for christ and that comes from the scriptures oh that our kids would would know the sacred writings from childhood which are able to give the wisdom it's not a promise again doesn't say, hey, if you teach your kids the scriptures, they'll be saved by the time they're 16. You know, before the driver's license, they will be a believer if you just do it. No, he says, this is the scriptures that are able to do this, again, as God would work. So the scripture give wisdom for salvation. So by all means, wouldn't we want our kids to know it? But also it says the scripture is, is profitable or beneficial for. It is useful for for it is it says it's inspired by God it is God breathed it is God's word and it is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness so much of what we do as parents is those things it is teaching our kids here's how to think here's what to think here's here's what is true it's reproof think of it as teaching them is this is the path This is what you should think and how you should live. Reproof is hey, you're off the path. You're not thinking that way. You're not living the way that God calls us to. You're not believing the truth. Correction is here's how you get back on the path. We're we're returning us to that. And training is here's how you continue on that path. And what is useful for that? Is it our ideas? Is it our experience? No, it's the scriptures. The scripture is profitable for those things for our kids. And because of that, the scriptures must be the primary content of our instruction. We have to be eager to saturate our kids' minds, not with just ideas about the scriptures, but with the scriptures themselves. And by that we mean the overall big picture story of scripture, understanding all that God is doing, the theology of scripture, the wise application of scripture to life, the, the practice of scripture and how we live. But again, it's not just talking about it. I find myself so often with my kids. Uh, I was in a conversation with one of my daughters last night, and, and we were talking about um, how she had essentially lived all day focused on herself, not her sister, uh, which is a typical conversation. Um, And and so, you know, it's one thing for us to talk about biblical ideas. Like, hey, be selfless and be kind to your sister. Are those bad things? No, those are great things. Those are things I want my child to do. But what is the authority for that? Is it me? (laughs) Is that hey, life will go better for you, kiddo, if you do this, because maybe she'll treat you that way someday, and it'll be great. No, it's it's the word of God. And yet, so often we can talk about biblical things and never get to, hey, what does the Bible actually say? And in God's grace, last night I was had been preparing to teach a lesson on instruction, and so my mind went to, hey, don't just talk about the Bible, talk about the bible and so we talk through philippians 2 and and do nothing for selfishness but empty conceit or empty conceit and and the model of christ in that way and we we need to not just talk about the ideas that are good but to actually take our kids to what does the scripture itself say in those ways it needs to be the primary content of our instruction and and i think typically we we sell our kids short on what they can understand. They can understand probably more than you and I think a lot of times. Doesn't mean that they'll get it all or that we have, can't, can't try to bring it down to their level. But oftentimes, even things that we struggle to believe or accept as parents, our kids are like, hey, cool, I get, that's great. You know, Things like the Trinity, God's three in one, and we're like, whoa, how does that work? And our kids are like, cool. You know, God is amazing and I can't even understand him, but he's, he's, he's right. You know, we, we need to expose our kids to the truth of God's word. Again, not with the goal of Bible knowledge, but the goal of life transformation for them. And this means if we're gonna do that, that scripture must fill our minds and hearts. Look at Deuteronomy 6, which is where we'll, we'll end today and then we'll pick up there. <coughs> next week. Deuteronomy 6, verses 7 through 9, really tell us the, the what of our instruction or the how of our instruction. He says in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, he, he's dividing it into two categories that we'll spend a good chunk of time next time on, which is formal instruction, teaching them diligently, being intentional to, to teach all the truth that they would need, and then more informal interaction talking about it when you're walking around. That's the difference between you sitting at the breakfast table and talking to your kids, or you reading a kid's Bible at night, which is more formal and intentional, versus you're walking through the grocery store and something comes up and you talk to them about the truth of God and his word. Well, if we're going to do either of those things, look at verse six. He says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be where? Shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and talk of them. If if Scripture must be the primary content of our instruction, it must also fill our minds and hearts as parents. We can't fake this. Can't tell our kids, hey, the Bible is is true and contains all the wisdom necessary for salvation, and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, and training. This is God's word, kids. And they say, so um, what what does the Bible say? Or you you start talking to them about uh, being kind to somebody else. And they're like, well, what does the Bible say about that? And you're like, "It's eh, a great question. I think it says to be kind to, to others, like I'm telling you. You know, it's like we, we've got to be filling our hearts and minds with God's word so that it will overflow, be able to overflow in the lives of our kids. So again, that's going to look different for different parents. Doesn't mean you've got to have every verse in the Bible memorized so you can pull it up on a, on a whim. But it means your kids ought to see you growing in your knowledge of the word and, and, and that overflowing in your life. It means as parents we've got to read scripture. We need to spend time in God's word ourselves. Understanding its truth. Understanding the big picture story of what God has done throughout all of history. As recorded in the Old Testament leading up to Christ. Getting the big picture of those things. It means we need to study scripture. Sometimes we need to be able to explain to our kids a particular verse. This is what this means in its context. And again, that doesn't mean you have to do that for for every single verse in the Bible. Over time, you'll be growing in those things, but it may be that there's some specific things you need to talk to your kids about. And that means you as a parent first, and I as a parent first, have to say, okay, what does the Bible say about this? Because we're having this conversation like every day. We're, We're coming back to this like multiple times. Uh, every single day. And so what does the Bible say and how do I study that and understand that and listen to good resources on that so that I can then practice it myself and flow out of that into the lives of my kids. We talked a little bit about this last week with discipline, but memorizing scripture is so helpful because when you're in the grocery store, now you probably can. You can pull up your iPhone and be like, hey, search for a verse on selflessness. Um, and you can pull it up in the grocery store, but that's cumbersome and probably unlikely to happen. And so if we have memorized scripture, again, chiefly for our own benefit, that we can grow in those things and be dwelling on those things, but it allows that to be right at our fingertips to talk to our kids. So often, we don't use scripture with our kids because we either are not in a position or don't take time to go and grab our Bible. And, and we oftentimes won't be able to go and grab our Bible. But if we have that scripture in our mind, we can, we can use that as we are equipping our children. And then we've got to be meditating on scripture. That's different than memorizing. Memorizing is being able to recall that to mind. Meditating on it is actually recalling it to mind and thinking about it. If we are not thinking about the truth of God's word regularly, the chance of us engaging with our kids about that word on an ongoing basis is probably not as likely. And so we need to be chewing on scripture throughout our day so that then it overflows with our kids. And again, if you do this simply because you say this would help me to be a good parent, I'm going to set up a Bible reading plan and a Bible study plan and a Bible memory plan so that I can be a good parent. You're not going to last and your kids are going to see through that. But as you say, hey, I really believe this. I believe God's word is profitable in these ways. It's what I need. It is the, the chief resource God's given me for growth and, and life. And, and so I'm digging into that. And then that's flowing out of the life of my kids. And yes, yeah, sometimes my kids direct the study that I'm doing because they bring up issues that I need to think about. Um, but this is not chiefly for them. This is for me. That's what puts you in the position to be able to say, I'm gonna teach my kids intentionally. And I'm gonna interact with my kids in the ongoing interaction that we have throughout the day that God calls us to. Next time we will, we will wrap up our thinking on instruction by reminding ourselves of, of the fact that the gospel needs to be central. We need to emphasize the gospel in instructing our children. And then just to be intentional as, sec, as Deuteronomy 6 says, to teach intentionally in informal ways and then to interact well all throughout the day in our, our, our times of, of informal interaction. And, and what I, I've done this week, I brought a few resources in. Um, I'll bring some more next week and I'll have more of a comprehensive kind of recommended resource list uh, next week when we get to that. Um, but. Some of those uh, uh, things you're you're welcome to look at uh, up here today, although again, I'll have some more next week, but um, uh, this can look uh, a variety of different ways as we are striving to instruct our kids. And and we live in a day and age where there's all kinds of resources to help us, which is a a blessing and a curse sometimes because it it can make us dependent on those things when we don't need to be. But it's, it's generally a huge blessing because there's so much at our disposal that we can use well with our kids. But it starts with us embracing that responsibility, say we wanna do this. And we've got a goal that's not just head knowledge, that's our kids genuinely buying into the truth of this, being convinced of this, through the Lord's work in their heart and through our example of holding these things up as, as precious and valuable, of seeking to model these things, and of committing our life to the knowledge of Scripture so that we can grow ourselves and then we can overflow that into the lives of our kids. All right? Well, let me pray and uh, you can hang out for a little bit, visit some more and uh, if you have any questions, I'll be happy to talk through those and then next week we'll we'll look a little more practically at some of these things together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we could spend together today. Thank you for your word that is true, that is is such a precious gift, a gift that gives us the wisdom for salvation. It helps us to see who you are and to see our need and to see the, the precious offering of Christ on our behalf. And and Lord, it is profitable to teach us and to, to reprove us, to correct us, to train us. And Lord, that's ultimately what we desire for our kids. And so we pray that we would be faithful to use your word, to shape our instruction, that it would be what we are eager to teach them. And Lord, we do thank you for those that support us in that role we thank you that many of us will go pick up our kids from sunday school classes where they've been learning god's word this morning and lord that's such a blessing help us to to not neglect our role because of those but to use those things as as a help to us in the instruction of our kids to springboard off of those things and and to uh utilize those things well and lord as many of us will head to even to worship today to uh, uh, our corporate time together, and many of us will pick up our kids. Lord, might we model, not in a phony way, worshiping for them, but might our hearts be uh, just full of love and devotion to you. Might our kids see that reflected in in how we sing and and how we pay attention in the sermons and all those things that we discussed today. And So we thank you. We pray that you would make us faithful in this way, and we thank you ultimately for the grace that you've given us in Christ. As as parents, we fall far short of what we strive to be and what we long to be, and yet we thank you that we're also not what we used to be in that way. So we give you praise and and entrust our afternoon to you. In Christ's name, amen.